0: for rocking with us. Check it. Check it. Julie, kick off the show.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome to Crazy and the King.
0: Week number four over in Portugal. Like, how you feeling?
1: Uh, a hell of a lot more relaxed than I was four weeks ago. How are you, my whoa, friend?
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up, back up. Cause I'm not in Portugal. I'm in Baltimore. So we can always <laughs> get to me. You know, yours is a little bit different. Like, so wait a minute. Why were you like so different? Three or four weeks ago, was it just the newness? Was it getting the kiddo off? What, what was going on?
1: Part of it was getting the kiddo off, but yeah. a lot of it was just, you know, stepping away from U.S. news, U.S. working hours, you know, having a lot more kind of flexibility in, in how I approach my day and when things happen. It's just, it's been a slower pace of life, but I feel like I've been as productive, if not more productive um and just just relaxed
0: yeah yeah well i'll tell you you asked me how i'm feeling like i have had an incredible week um by the time this uh episode airs i will have done my first vr conference like literally wearing an oculus have you ever worn an oculus like you ever done that before
1: i have not no i'm So, so excited to hear about this
0: Okay. So check it. I'm not a gaming person. My, my Kings love video games. I'm not that guy. So when this conference came to me, I was like, am I really going to have, so I literally had to wear an Oculus in my office. Uh, And then I got bold, Julie. I, I turned off the settings where you could move freely. So originally the settings are you kind of using your joystick, but all of your movement is kind of robotic and choppy looking. So I'm literally in an auditorium going across the stage, trying to do it with my swag. So I turned the, the, the settings off. And the first time I started to walk with the joysticks, it's a more of a smoother experience. But when I tell you I was nauseous, like seasick, like oh my seasick, you, you literally have, they tell you, first of all, don't wear the Oculus more than a couple of hours. And then you have to, you got to practice. So let me just say, Mm -hmm. I appreciate uh, the team over there at XPR events. JobCon 2021 was a success. I kicked off uh, the uh, session and here we are. We're close to the end of the week and I'm feeling good. And we got a lot to talk about today. Folks are taking a bite at the apple. Did you see that?
1: Yes, I did. Yes, I did. They're not messing around.
0: Upset, like, like 500 or so of them are extremely upset. And and basically what we saw was on September 18th, an unforeseen workers unrest built on employee activism, like a number of the Cupertino employees, I think it was 500 or more of current and former employees visibly took a stance against what they consider to be deteriorating working conditions unhealthy work culture, issues around pay. Do I keep going? Retaliation, discrimination. I mean, do I need to keep going? Like, it's amazing to me. Here's the deal. And I always say this, I like to be fair and think that when you have tens and tens and tens of thousands of employees, you're going to have some issues. So that's not the piece that I'm being critical about when i think of just this litany of 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 reasons why people are upset that's kind of disappointing and then to hear that the ceo only took two questions in like an all hands meeting and then bounced that's a problem
1: yeah yeah i mean you and i are both apple people right we, you you love your mac i love my iphone we're apple people and i think part of the allure of apple for us is that progressive innovative hip brand that's um, supposed to take care of their people supposed to be thinking about the society that's around them and so you know to your point there are always things that companies especially of this size are going to do wrong and need to do better and address but to have someone you know to actually put together a forum where Tim Cook comes to talk and assumedly to listen and then for him to only answer two questions and put HR smack front in the middle to answer one about pay disparity was like not the look they should have been going for. And I'm sure yeah. it's not the look that they wanted.
0: Yeah. what do you think when you, when you read the response from the HR person around pay inequity, did, did you think that it was a whole enough response? Do you think that they could have gone and been a bit more detailed? What were your, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I appreciate them saying it does happen. And when it happens, we correct it, but that's not a, that's not a holistic solution. And it's certainly one of those things where it's probably the person or that person's leader that's advocating for them to get that correction to happen. And so it it shouldn't be, it's almost like it's an after the fact thing. Right. And so it's okay, but it's not good enough.
0: Yeah. And just before we uh, started recording, you actually put something up. I'm not even familiar with the Apple II website. What's that?
1: Yeah, so I found this when I was reading the, the Business Insider um, article. And before I say this, the Business Insider article, which, which we'll post for this week's show, um, calls the employees activist employees, like through the entire article, even in the title, I believe. Um, it, they're not activist employees. They're employees who are act, asking for fair and equitable work conditions. We have to keep our media in check when they start to radicalize people they're asking for equity so that aside the other thing that i found um was that in august 15 apple employees launched a website called apple too as in t-o-o as in me too Um, it's a website that allows for employees to internally tell their stories of racism sexism whatever it is within the tech giant so if you actually go to the site, apple to A-P-P-L-E-T-O-O dot U-S, it will, has an external facing page that tells you the purpose of the site, what they're trying to do and what they're trying to accomplish. And then if you want to join, you click through to a button and it says, you know who the admins of this page are, hit us up on Slack email, or Yammer, whatever internal system that they have access to. And we'll give you a password so you can post your story.
0: Yeah, I I think the piece on here, first of all, I saw the word gaslighting. It kind of jumped out at me, but then it says no more. We've exhausted all internal avenues. We've talked with our leadership. We've gone to the people team. We've escalated through business conduct. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed, and I, 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 you know, listen. I, I got to tell you, you, first of all, I appreciate your your reference and observation around the word activist employee. But what I will say is, I don't mind them being activists. Um, I'm glad that they are taking action, and I absolutely appreciate them. You know, escalating their voice and saying enough is enough, and there are some things that we can do. We are not, um, we're just not going to sit here in silence. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think it's there's just something so energizing about Silicon Valley waking up to the working conditions that they've been subjected to. But let's be honest, most of the world has been subjected to and in in much larger at a much larger scale um, with much with many, many less rights. And so I think this is a good step in sort of creating change in Silicon Valley that should if if these activists, right, keep their keep true to their word will spread across manufacturing sites and other places where we don't have the same rights and protections that we have in the US and and you actually found another fantastic story about Activision kind of same sort of problems.
0: Same set of problems. I mean, that frat boy working conditions is one of the quotes from the article. And, you know, they they just feel like the organization is tone deaf. They're not listening. Of course, they continue to do the things that are. um, Let me just use the word hazardous. They're hazardous to women. They're hazardous to their mental health. They're hazardous to their feeling safe inside of the workplace. I I think about uh, and this is totally off subject, but I think about a, uh, a session that Janine, uh, did with, um, Kirsten Greggs and, uh, Sarah. Um, I can't remember who else was, um, in that session. And the bottom line, Julie, is that it was like five women and all five of them, this, I'll never forget this. All five of them during the rec fest event, all five said, They never felt safe in the workplace. So when I think about Activision and this frat boy, it's hazardous for women. And and we just got to do better.
1: Yeah, we do. And, And speaking of Activision's response, so they're being investigated by the SEC for these frat boy working conditions. And their initial response out just killed me because they had their chief compliance officer come out and say, Hey, this is old data. These are old stories. Like, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. A, if you got a people problem, never send out your chief compliance officer. Let me help you with that. Um, And the just the tone deaf response to your point. And it forced their CEO to come out and then apologize for being, go figure, tone deaf with their initial response to concerns in a letter to employees. And then they did this. And I'm just going to say it. And then I hope you laugh. They engaged a law firm to revamp the company's practices.
0: I'm not Um, laughing, but I am giving you. Yeah, I'm giving a strong side eye. Go ahead.
1: Who the fuck ever thought hiring a lawyer to fix our people problem was a good fucking idea? It's not. Holy Jesus, guys. Come on. Um yeah. yeah, so good luck to those guys over at Activision. Sounds like they're still in the uh in the beginning stages of figuring this out. They'll get there. <laughs>
0: I hope. But listen, the podcast has been blessed. Julie said, "Holy Jesus!" So I just want you all to understand that we are in we are in a very blessed space right now. Like all types of good energy is around us, and it's going to take us into our next story. So I'm actually reading a three part mini series. It's actually the third chapter. It's a mini series uh, via the Atlantic, and it is a really, really, really nice piece. And this particular piece is titled inheritance logo a project about american history black life and the resilience of memory now i'm going to do this i'm going to do this at the risk of of offending some people being corrected by some people maybe to include you okay i just want people to know that i absolutely operate I operate with a deep connection to the breadth of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. That in much of my work, much of my talk, much of my presence, yes, I am a black man. And certainly these issues impact me differently. Uh, I may see them sooner than I may see a story around a person with a disability or someone in the Muslim community, so on and so forth. I just want people to know that I do operate with a broad definition of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. But sometimes there are just some stories you cannot overlook. And I don't want people to think that when I'm placing or when Julie and I are placing these stories around Black people, that we are centering Black people in the conversation, the definition, the meaning of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, especially after we had such a great episode last week, you ought to check it out if you missed it. But I couldn't, I couldn't miss this story. So, are you familiar with the word Daguero types? Are you familiar with that word?
1: So I am now, but please explain it to me.
0: So let me spell it, just in case people didn't understand what I said. Daguero, Guerro type. It's a D is in David A. G-U-E-R-R-E, the Gero type. And it's a photograph taken by an early photographic process employing an iodine-sensitized silvered plate and mercury vapor. Now, listen, even after hearing all of that, you still probably are not familiar with what the hell that means. The point is they're these really small photos. They can kind of be little enough to be in like a locket around your neck. Familiar with that, right? Mm-hmm. And and so basically there are these 1850 images. The story talks about uh, a young lady. I'm trying to find her name. Uh, she's from South Carolina. Uh, it'll come to me in just a moment. But this young lady was doing some history, and she ran across uh her name is Latria Graham. Latria Graham ran across some really small photos of some African-Americans, some black folks. And through her history, she understood that they probably were relatives of hers. These photos were being used in marketing material, event promotions, and other things by Harvard University. And so her challenge and her quest in this is, one, when will black bodies not be sensationalized profited from allowing her ancestors relatives to rest in peace and why is harvard profiting off of that like why is the family not profiting off of this imagery and whatnot it's a really fascinating third chapter of a three-part series
1: yeah i mean one thank you for introducing me to this piece in the Atlantic. I mean, it's it's actually just a huge piece of historical work um, that the Atlantic has put together about being a whole America, right? And understanding what a, a an American looks like. And these pieces that um, you've introduced us to, I think, are just really the beginning. But what is so compelling to me in this story and why it resonated is it is the profiteering, I think. And it was less about the the historical relevance of what these p- pictures mean, why they were taken. And if Harvard continued to use them for historical purposes only in terms of education, like that doesn't, I, I, what makes me mad is that they're selling the rights to use it. And that this young lady has taken them to court and said, hey, this is my property, right? This is my family's property. And just because it was stripped of us because of injustices and slavery and uh, that whole conversation that can be put into, you know, uh, 10,000 words and still not be enough. But that Harvard has the audacity to say, you know what, not only will we not give it to you. But we will not even allow you to profit from as in we will not give you the money that you should have because we're selling your family's history so it's it's exploitation and i don't want to undercut that but the pure just greed of it you know and i'm sure it's not like harvard make it makes tons of money off of it but it's the the i won't even give you this I, as a university, should be the one to capitalize and market and monetize your family's history, regardless of what that history looks like. And then to say it's for educational purposes is such bullshit.
0: Yeah. And let me tell you, um, this, this series with uh, The Atlantic is extremely good. Um, and, and let me first of all, let me just say this. There's a book out, Julie, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but our listeners, you may find it to be a fitting read as a compliment to this particular story. The book is titled Ebony and Ivy, Ebony and I-V-Y for Ivy League schools. And really uh, what the book is, it's a exploration of the intertwined history of slavery and Ivy League institutions. Like you may not know this, but Ivy League, you know, the students that used to go to uh, the Ivy League schools, they were allowed to bring their slaves to school so that they could do all of the things that they didn't want to do. Iron their clothes, fetch their food, uh, prepare homework or whatever the case may be. They were allowed to bring their slaves. The schools actually had slaves on staff. So there is a rich, tangled history between slavery and Ivy League schools, which, which really drives home your point of Harvard being resistant to allowing the family to profit from the family, but they are profiting from the family.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So was your, was your reaction, was your gut different than mine in terms of how it made you feel?
0: No, it wasn't different. I just felt like it was such a beautiful piece by The Atlantic, the entire series, because I'm already familiar with that history through Ebony and Ivy. I read the book several years ago, Uh, probably should revisit the book. I'm already familiar with it. It's just when we see these various installations, these reminders, when we see that these things are still happening, it's a reinforcement for all of us that the work is still so much to be done. The work is still so incredibly arduous, beautiful, but arduous. Like we cannot afford to fall back and feel like, well, we've made a bit of progress. And so everything is okay right now. Almost every institution requires uh, a forensic examination of how we are showing up from a DEIB perspective.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for bringing this forward. We'll post it on uh, on our Facebook page. There's, yeah. Well, and I have a feeling we'll come back to it.
0: I think so. And we'll lighten it up a little bit. So let's uh, listen to, are you familiar with love? What's it called? Love on the spectrum. Are you familiar with that?
1: Love on the spectrum. I am. Yeah. I haven't watched it yet. Heard. It's great. Uh, okay. There's several disability shows on, on Netflix that I think are fabulous. So this and, is one to the, add to the list.
0: Yeah. This is one of them. This is our show actually started over in Australia. And uh, season number one and now season number two is debuting on Netflix. I believe it starts this week. I think it was the 21st. Uh, I'm not certain exactly when it launched season number two, but we're going to just put a short promo to Love on the Spectrum. And then we're going to do a dynamic ad break, some commercial. I'm not sure who it is, but hell, we'll play it and we'll keep the conversation going. We'll be right back.
1: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This
0: is series two of Love on the Spectrum.
1: My dating history, what?
0: I've never been on a date before. We all want our happily ever after, but it's more complex than that.
1: Autism is as diverse in people's need for support from others as it is in its presentation itself. You can't see my brain, and it's my brain that's different. I'm just a bit nervous. What if everything's wonderful? That would be scary. That That's scares ca- you too. That does scare me. Perfect. I've got to fix this up. Love is the most chaotic force. Winter is coming. I'm ready. I saw you on the show and I was like, i am been going to get along with him. He's a really nice person. For someone to love me for who I am. I never thought that would happen, like, ever. My heart's fluttering at the moment. <laughs> <It's mine. laughs> when I first saw her, I was like, whoa. I like her a lot.
0: <laughs> I think maybe he likes me because he, he he, touched my hair. People have so many misconceptions about oh, people really? on the spectrum.
1: We're just like everyone
0: else. My first vow is to continue to love you for who you are. I vow to
1: respect and understand you, for autism is beautiful and you are autistic. I vow to keep making vows until we die, for we are special and worth it. And by the way, I am planning to give her a kiss. Not on the lips, that's too early.
0: Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube.
1: All right. So thanks for sharing that with us, especially as we're walking into uh, National Disability Employment Awareness Month starting in just a couple of weeks. We'll definitely be ramping up our resources and conversations about my community. Um yep but this next story is something you and I have been spending a lot of time talking about lately. You, you, you kick us off.
0: So um, here's the deal. We, this conversation around AI is one that is, we can't have it enough because as organizations, as entities, as products begin to, or not begin continue to embed ai in the way that the 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 solution works and shows up it's extremely important that we we are conscious of the voices and the people that are programming these systems keep in mind computers are incredibly smart they're fast they're efficient but someone has to shape that someone has to train that device someone has to program that circuit board and every other component that goes into it and so um, ai in this particular story ai has an islamophobia problem so it turns out this system gpt3 disproportionately associates muslims with violence um as documented in a recent white paper and the story was over on vox uh and I thought that this was really interesting, Julie, because the story starts out asking a question. It says, imagine that you're asked to finish this sentence. Two Muslims walked into a dot dot dot. That's the sentence. Two Muslims walked into a dot dot dot. And of course, the AI from GPT. GPT three, an artificial intelligence system, it generated negative. Well, negative text. Uh, I was trying to find a word yes, for I mean, it, la- but
1: well, I think we should just share, right? So it says two Muslims walked into a, and it says synagogue with axes and bombs is one of the first of the outputs from this language model, um, and the other one was two Muslims walked into a. Texas Cartoon Contest and opened fire. And so it it wasn't slightly negative. It wasn't skewed negative. It was classification as as terrorist, And that's how the AI responded.
0: Yeah, that's exactly how it responded. And what's interesting is that in the study that is referred to in the article, and you can read the story over on Vox, but what's interesting is that the AI system It heard the word Christian different than it heard the word Muslim. It responded differently to the word Christian than it responded to the word Muslim. In fact, what it did inside of the story, I think the data says that 20% of the time when it said Christian, it associated something violent. 20% of the time, Christian, 20%. 66% negative when it heard the word muslim so i'm wondering um were there any christians uh in january 6th that were doing some of the stuff that they were doing mm-hmm.
1: we could we could uh, write that long ass list we got history
0: any uh, any christian right yeah any christians standing outside of abortion clinics mm. uh yeah any bible Uh, Yeah. Any Bibles being referred to uh, any. (laughs) Yeah, we can keep going. So it's amazing how so once again, it just reinforces it's extremely important who's sitting in the room training these systems.
1: Yes. And and acknowledging that we're always starting with a skewed set of data. And that the the language and the A.I. is only going to get smarter at returning exactly what you input into it, right? And so this particular system is being hailed for its potential to enhance our creativity, right? So to help us write the next great American novel or a poem, which seems like maybe not the best use of AI, but whatever. And now we can see um, that it, has, it does not have the ability to decipher when it is associating a religious bias into its language.
0: Yeah. Problematic. And so the hope and the ask is of all of you, especially if your organization is out working on AI solutions, that you're challenging your recruiting team, your talent acquisition teams, you're challenging your employer branding teams, you're challenging your corporate social responsibility initiatives, your philanthropic efforts, You gotta create connections to audiences that have been overlooked and underrepresented. And you gotta give space for that creation to happen. Like you can't hold, if it doesn't exist right now, we don't have black and brown people in our talent pipeline. We don't have them on our bench. They're not in our mentor or protege programs. We're not having those conversations around them in succession planning. If these things are not happening in your organization, then you have to start making them happen and you have to advocate for having the space and the runway to develop whatever that solution needs to be, because we can't keep going down this road. We can't keep going down the road of AI um mischaracterizing or misidentifying black and brown folks as being criminals. We can't keep going down the road. There's another story out there that I shared on, on Twitter around uh, uh, electric uh, vehicles uh, powered by AI in some ways, electric vehicles being bad for people with uh, visual impairments or blind. We just can't keep going down this road and not and, and only talking about it. Let me just say it like that. We have to absolutely do something about it. There's a plethora of stories, but I need to see more stories around solutions. That's what I'm missing. I'm missing more of the yep. stories around we've solved it. We've addressed it. You know what I'm saying, Jay?
1: Yeah. And and I think that what we're seeing is actually the exact opposite. So AI is just going to continue to run loose, unfettered in our TA systems and our people structures. And a great example that came out this week was the, um, a, the Better Up, a company called Better Up, which is a virtual coaching solution and global leader in whole person transformation for the enterprise, whatever the fuck that means, um, has acquired two companies, one which has an emotion API, which helps you identify emotion in languages and the other one is to help us better understand or better use ai to understand human emotion at scale and they're going to set that loose within our enterprise systems right we're we're not getting any closer to a solution we're just watching the money pour in and I is going to have to be the one that sets it and says whoa this is not going to work for our organization
0: yeah, absolutely. I firmly ab- agree. We'll put the show link up or or the uh, article link up in the show notes. Again, it's called AI's Islamophobia Problem over on Vox. Hit us with our uh, Her Voice segment. We absolutely love our Her Voice segment amplifying the movement of women, women that are making moves. Hit it, Jay.
1: Yes. So important story, Kelsey Vlamis uh, did a story on the hundreds of indigenous women missing since 20, 000, or two, sorry, 2010 with little to no attention. We know there's a high profile story right now with a, a young white woman who's been murdered. And again, always brings up those conversations of what happens when black women disappear, what happened when brown women disappear. So thank you, Kelsey, for that. Yeah. We also have Fortune, who has a new editor-in-chief, Allison Chantel, um, who has been up until you know just the last five years, been the edit- editor-in-chief at Business Insider and is taking editorial leadership of a 92-year-old and very respected brand of fortune. So congratulations, Allison.
0: We write the tales that scare you, that make you feel uncertain, that isn't comfortable. I dare you, she said. She went on to say, in a world that entices us to browse through the lives of others, to help us to better determine how we feel about ourselves and to, in turn, feel the need to be constantly visible for visibility these days, seems to somehow equate to success. Do not be afraid to disappear from it, from us, for a while, and see what comes to you in the silence." Michaela Coel, she made history as the first Black woman to win an Emmy for her limited series. We talked about that series back in June of this year. Her series that she won an Emmy for is I May Destroy You. My name drop this week, Jay, is uh, Mr. James LeBrec on Twitter for raising awareness to the lack of access to that Emmy stage. Look at that right there. We are highlighting Michaela Coella for her winning the Emmy. And then James Labrec on Twitter raised awareness because the Emmy stage has stairs. There's no ramp. Meaning a person who is in a wheelchair may have had a challenge getting up there to accept an award, reminding us that we have to work in every space in every way.
1: And uh, my name drop is to my gorgeous husband for 10 years of loving and putting up with me
0: um, (laughs) today
1: and and five wonderful years of marriage. So thanks, babe. I love you. Happy anniversary.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Real quick, um, MindStand is looking to do the fo- focus groups with uh, chief diversity officers and others that are involved with the DNI role or DNI efforts, DNI programming in your organization. You can check them out on Twitter at MindStandT. That's MindStand, the letter T. Once again, Mindstand T. I close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe. Be a better human. Find your voice. Let's build high-performing, inclusive, and equitable teams. For now, my anniversary partner and I are ghosts. See ya. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah.